from the Center for European Reform. This is the CEA podcast. Posons-nous sérieusement la question de l'avenir que nous voulons et ayons tous ensemble le courage de le construire. Für uns in Deutschland ist das Bekenntnis zum vereinten Europa Teil unserer Staatsräson. A strong united Europe is a necessity for the world because an integrated Europe remains vital to our international order. This is the moment for Europe to lead the way towards a new vitality. Hello and welcome to this new episode of the CER podcast. My name is Megan Ferrando. I'm this year's Clara Marina O'Donnell Fellow. This episode is recorded in the context of a new CER policy brief, which I've written. It addresses the growing challenge of water scarcity in the Maghreb, how water scarcity is linked to instability in the region, and how the EU should respond to this. The policy brief will come out this week. Today, we're zooming in on one Maghreb country in particular, Libya to discuss how water scarcity plays out there and how it's linked to the political and security situation. With me today is Malak Al-Taib, an independent consultant, blogger and researcher from Libya based in Paris. Hi, Malak. Hello, Megan. Malak, your work focuses on water politics and food security in Libya. So tell me, as an outsider to Libya, I've mostly been following the international headlines. So. I look at Libya and I see the conflict that started in 2011 with the toppling of long-term ruler Muammar Gaddafi. Um, I see the descent into civil war, the fragmentation of the country, which we still see today. Last December, there was a failed attempt to hold elections. And now we have two rivaling governments, each backed by local and international forces. And armed groups have mobilized around the Libyan capital of Tripoli. So in short, Clearly, the political crisis is attracting all the attention. Um, so in this context of political conflict and instability, why would it be so important to talk about water security issues? So hello, Megan. Uh, thank you so much for having me. So to answer the first question, why is it important now to talk about water security issues in addition to the political issues that are already present in Libya? Uh, before going into deep details, it's important to understand uh, the water overview of the country, the impact of climate change, and also the environment uh, of Libya, so we can understand why we need to act now. So in general, uh, in the MENA region, the groundwater is a hidden problem. Many countries in, in the region, they extract more than that is being recharged in the absence of solid legal frameworks and national water policy regulations. Adding to this, the virtual water trade concept in the form of food imports. Many countries in the region, uh, they depend heavily on food imports, which leaves uh, the agricultural sector struggling. This means that the cost that is put on food imports is way less than investing on uh, a produce locally. So Libya is no uh, exception uh, in the issue of, of groundwater. Libya's freshwater resources originate mainly uh, from groundwater aquifers. We have the main aquifers that are located uh, in the south, and those aquifers are non-renewable. This means that those aquifers, they need a longer time to replenish. So Libya's climate is uh, an arid zone country. So the dependence uh, of water is on groundwater aquifers that are located in the south. The percentage of dependence uh, on groundwater aquifers is over 95%. Also, uh, in Libya, there are no rivers. 
So in the current situation now, uh, indeed in the past uh, years, the situation has grown more problematic. While the country registers a low rainfall, and that is due to the impact of climate change, now we are seeing extreme weathers. This means that we have an extreme summer and a long uh, period of summer. This means that rainfall is extremely uh, low, and it's only uh, limited to certain areas that is uh, being in the coastal side. Uh, the water demand also keeps rising, mainly to the uh, increased population growth and rising living standards, uh, especially in urban centers. But also due to growing uh, water demand for agriculture and industrial use. I believe that now it is the time to talk about water security issues because water now is embedded uh, in different issues. Not only it's not an alien uh, issue now, it's linked to the political situation in the country, to social stability, it's linked to the economic situation as well in terms of uh, development of agriculture. So it is important now to include water security to the political uh, security and stability uh, talk uh, about Libya. Could you talk us through a little bit about how water and politics uh, have become intertwined in Libyan society and also maybe of what has changed for water after the fall of Gaddafi in, uh, in 2011? To understand how water and politics became intertwined, it's important to understand that it's linked to the tribal structure in Libya through resources control. So the tribal structure or system in Libya plays uh, an important role it has uh, played an important role uh, during the kingdom uh, era and it played even a stronger role uh, through Gaddafi's regime. And at that time, he managed uh, to reduce uh, the strength of the tribes that were most powerful in the kingdom time and restructure uh, the tribal uh, situation in Libya. So Gaddafi's social engineering at that time was not only focused on people's exclusion, but rather by focusing on means of control in order to avoid any opposition movements. So he managed to expand his control, not only, of course, on the social structure through uh, empowering specific tribes, but also uh, through controlling all sectors, including uh, the water sector. So there was an, an urgent need an importance to politicize sectors and institutions during Gaddafi's time to ensure a full control of resources and not only uh, the, on the political level, but we're talking about on the social level uh, and the economic level. So now we understand that water and politics are intertwined uh, during the approach that was used by Gaddafi's regime. But it's important to mention that in order for Gaddafi's regime to insert more power and force, there was a need to show uh, power uh, in a huge project. Of course, during the early time of Gaddafi's regime in power, there was an urgency to show that this regime has more capacity and capabilities and there is more to do uh, for Libya and also to show the international community this regime has a strong vision. So what happened at that time, okay, there is a control over water resources, 
but the regime decided to implement one of the uh, largest water engineering projects in Libya, and that was uh, called the Great Man-Made River Project. Okay, great. Could you tell a little bit more about that? Sure. So the Great Man-Made River Project uh, is a project that was uh, aimed to provide Libya's, at that time, uh, about 5 million inhabitants with water and also to care for the agricultural sector. So it is uh, a system that was uh, designed to transfer uh, water from groundwater aquifers, the non-renewable aquifers I mentioned earlier, in the south through a network of pipelines. We're talking about large uh, pipelines that were put under the ground to the northern uh, coast that was uh, designed uh, through four phases. So each phase, uh, it is connected to a specific aquifers in uh, in the south, uh, and it was aimed to deliver uh, a specific amount of water to specific areas. So the the beginning of the project started during the 1970s. Uh, The Great Man Made River Project was first... Uh, laid a stone in the early 1980s, specifically 1983. Uh, It was aimed to finish in 2010, uh, including the four phases. The finance aspect is completely provided by the Libyan government. So this project uh, had an open finance means uh, through the oil revenues. So before the revolution, if we talk about the status of this project or even the conditions, the uh, authority of the Great Man-Made River project, it used to work in great conditions and under the watch of supervisors, all uh, well fields and the different stations of the system, if we're talking about electricity, if we're talking about uh, ventilation and tanks, uh, they were under concentrated protection uh, from the military uh, for 24 hours in all regions. Also, all sectors, they were uh, obliged to provide the cover for this project. And it's important to say that at that time or during Gaddafi's regime, people feared uh, punishment on any incident due to the uh, strict supervision uh, by the regime at that time. So I think the problem with the Great Man Made River project is not only linked to the incompletion of the project. Okay, we have two phases. These phases have been providing uh, water for citizens and also for agricultural activity for a long time. But the political instability in the country after the revolution reflected on many sectors and aspects of the the society, including uh, the Great Man-Med River Project Authority. After 2011, we started to see a different um, form, or let's say a different uh, character of how the politicized water sector is um, is working now. Uh, so what we saw in 2011 is an emergence of a water crisis, uh, which was first reported, and I would say reported not as a crisis, but uh, as an issue at that time. We started to see media highlighting uh, 
uh, a few issues linked to drinking water, for instance, linked, linked to uh, protests by people demanding for water uh, in certain regions uh, in Libya. Also, the hegemonic state of the Great Man-Made River Project faded away immediately, and the Great Man-Made River Project shifted to a service provider. Uh, the actors after 2011, we have more than one actor. We don't only have the state, we have... Uh, citizens, we have media, uh, we have uh, engineers, we have different actors that are that are interplaying uh, around the politicized water sector today. Uh, and also, it's important to keep in mind that uh, water uh, became a tool in conflict. So uh, during Hafter's attack uh, on Tripoli in 2019, in which he tried to seize uh, the capital and seize power uh, through that attack, he uh, at some point uh, he managed to cut an attack, uh, the Great Man Mid River uh, Project uh, network that is linked to Tripoli, and cut uh, water uh, to citizens. So we can see that water is used in conflict, and it's used to to amplify the uh, the instability and the insecurity uh, within Libya. So before 2011, it was the water the water sector had a stable uh, status. But after 2011, we started to see different players. We started to see that uh, a hegemonic project that is considered one of the greatest engineering projects uh, of our time. Is no longer uh, is no longer playing uh, the same or having the same role it had before two thousand and eleven. Okay, thanks. Um, and if we, if we look for a bit uh, so beyond the political and the conflict sphere uh, of, well, as you said, the the use of water as a as a weapon by uh, uh, General Khalifa Haftar or. Um, well, if we, if we go back, are people, actual Libyans in daily lives, uh, concerned with water scarcity? Uh, are they concerned with water scarcity related to climate change, as you said before, um, with the government being able to provide water, with the functioning, for example, of the Great, great Man-Made River Project? Okay, so uh, to answer this uh, question, uh, people, yes, they are concerned. Uh, especially uh, with the current situation today uh, and the level of issues that are that are present libyans are more aware of uh, of the political situation of the social issues even the economic situation uh, and there are many discussions around different uh, different topics and including uh, water of course people today they feel uh, the level of stress uh, due to water availability, but it's important to keep in mind that uh, water is a free commodity. In Libya, it is provided for free. People do not pay for water, and this has been uh, happening for a long time since uh, Gaddafi's regime. Uh, and of course, when someone would ask, how come water is free? Of course, it's free because people do not feel the pressure or necessarily they do not feel the pressure of water. Before 2011, people didn't feel that because, as I mentioned earlier, there is only one key player. So they started to feel the pressure that water is not available. The Great Man-Made River Project is no longer functioning uh, as it used to be 
yes, it's free, but it's not available. How can people compensate uh, for this? So a lot of people um, in households, they became self-reliant. This means that there is uh, an extensive digging of, of house wells and it's something that is not monitored monitored uh, or even controlled. Before 2011, there was, uh, yes, a level of monitoring and control. People cannot randomly uh, dig uh, wells for water. Uh, but today, uh, there, is, there is a lack of monitoring. There is no control. Regulations are not uh, activated and they're, they're not used. So citizens, yes, they know that there is an issue today and they understand that water is not as available as it used to be. So they decided to become uh, self-reliant. Uh, but people do not acquire the understanding of moderate consumption and no awareness, uh, unfortunately, is raised uh, regarding uh, consumption because... As I mentioned, water is a free commodity, so people are not used to questioning their consumption. And at the same time, uh, that built uh, a very lack of trust in the government because water is not governed by one authority. There is uh, a serious mismanagement problem of these resources, of the water resources. People do not really trust uh, the government, so they depend on themselves to have water. But although they have water on their own, there is uh, a lack of awareness on consumption uh, of water. And and the question of, uh, of putting a price on water is something to keep in mind uh, later on. Well, I know also that you've been uh, proposing and working on solutions to... Uh, uh, to enhance water security in Libya. So can you tell us a bit more about uh, solutions that are already on the way or that you would like to propose? So uh, in order to understand how we can work on uh, long-term sol solutions in, uh, in, a, in a context uh, like we have today in Libya, which is unstable, we're back to having two um, governments both governments are supported by different factions. We have international and national support for, for these two governments. So we still have this uncertainty um, situation in Libya today. And of course, when we talk about long-term solutions in an unstable context, you need a huge financial support. As I mentioned, the country as it is today now with the status uh, it has uh, today, it cannot uh, work or even help revive uh, desalination. Uh, second, uh, of course, when we talk about uh, desalination, there should be uh, support or exchange of knowledge and, and expertise from other uh, institutions linked to desalination from abroad. From a, there are no foreign institutions or desalination plants or companies that would uh, actually uh, invest in the knowledge uh, sharing aspect because uh, it is very high and costly. And of course, from the security uh, aspect, uh, 
it imposes a lot of risk. So uh, no one is going to put a huge investment in desalination since the security situation is really fragile. So I think there should be more focus instead of desalination, since it requires not only the state, but we need uh, another support uh, from foreign countries. But there should be now more focus and to bring to the table the entrepreneurial aspect. So instead of focusing on large-scale uh, projects, and we're here we're talking about desalination, and they are uh, financially uh, uh, incentive, we should focus on small-scale projects in terms of what kind of uh, small projects we can focus on on a local level. This means that before we think of the financial aspect, address the entrepreneurial uh, uh, projects or even the entrepreneurial uh, capacity uh, in Libya. What kind of projects or even uh, ideas uh, people have, especially young people, we're talking about youth, what kind of uh, uh, water-related uh, entrepreneurial uh, projects that could be uh, implemented on a local scale, uh, what kind of private uh, companies that are available that can work on uh, developing uh, a better uh, water infrastructure, for instance. So I think it's best to think on a smaller scale uh, rather than focusing on desalination, which is considered uh, a huge investment, but the political situation in the country uh, does not help uh, desalination to be revived. Okay, so in that sense, desalination would be a, uh, a longer term prospect uh, requiring also more stability, but in the shorter term might be able, it might be beneficial to focus more on, on the entrepreneurial aspect. Um, then in that case, well, just again, from my perspective as more the, uh, as a European, so what could international actors or the European Union uh, do to support with such efforts? And do you actually think that the current approach and the current focus of the international community is where it needs to be to fully address issues like water security? Okay, I think in terms of the uh, international uh, actors or communities role uh, in the water uh, issue, I think solving in Libya today uh, is really important because as I mentioned, the country on its own cannot uh, solve this growing issue. Uh, but I think the the international community or actors and the uh, European Union can provide support in terms of uh, providing or assisting uh, small projects. This means that uh, there could be uh, a support in terms of uh, uh, financial, it's a financial support to small projects uh, in different areas, whether it's linked to uh, agriculture, for instance, or it's linked to uh, wastewater. Uh, this means that we need to focus on uh, decentralized projects. So decentralized projects, uh, which is linked to uh, urban water uh, utilities. Uh, if we're talking about um, 
uh, implementing or supporting, providing uh, financial support or even assisting any uh, local initiatives that can implement uh, a better a better water, let's say, infrastructure. If we're talking about decentralized, this means that uh, it's a small, uh, usable uh, and a smaller uh, I think treatment facility, so it does not really require a high economic investment. It also provides a huge support to local communities, so decentralized uh, uh, treatment facilities can be provided to um, to people or let's say farmers. Uh, this can uh, provide uh, water for agri- agriculture, especially in in suburban areas uh, in Libya where there is um, a high uh, agricultural activity. So I think the international community can can provide support, of course, but I think the support uh, needs to be uh, more on the long term. So how to support uh, local communities through decentralized uh, projects in different different areas, and this means we're talking about uh, wastewater uh, treatment uh, facilities, uh, and these are on a small scale. Uh, so you can help uh, enhance the uh, the infrastructure of water, but at the same time, you can ensure that local communities are going to have uh, water on the long term. So how to use uh, uh, a wastewater uh, treatment decentralized facility uh, for agriculture, and this can provide major support. So I think the the international actors are already helping, but I think uh, the support is not as uh, as strong as it is uh, paid for other uh, issues. And of course, I understand the level of, level of priorities, but I think water today is uh, a huge priority. And with time, we will see more issues. So, so of course, the support can be more focused on on small scale projects and in even local projects in order to provide a long term uh, benefit to people. That's great. Thanks. Um, thank you. Well, for thanks for pulling us away from. Uh, from the big media headlines, from everything we read rather, rather about the politics of it, and um, well, for reminding us that even though the political conflict is, of course, still very strongly affecting Libyans, um, we should not forget that other challenges that might seem more distant or might seem less urgent, like water, uh, water scarcity, um, but which will have devastating effects on, on people's lives if they, uh, if they remain underaddressed. So Malek, uh, thank you very much for speaking with me today. And uh, I'm looking forward to following up on this issue with you in the future. Thank you. Thank you, Megan. Thank you for listening to the CEA podcast. If you have any feedback for us or want to leave suggestions for a future episode, then you can find us on Twitter at CER underscore EU.